0: The podcast that kind of can't believe it's almost December, like this year is going way too fast. And I have to say, okay, so if you're listening to this the week it comes out, I'm recording this on Sunday, November 26th, which is a few days after Black Friday. And it was so weird this year to not be filled with overwhelming Anxiety on Black Friday. Um, In the past, you know, early in my career, I actually worked in physical, in-person retail. So I would, you know, have to go into work at 9 p.m. on Thanksgiving so that we could open at midnight and it would be exhausting and wild. And there would just somehow be Jamba Juice spilled everywhere on the sales floor, even though there wasn't a Jamba Juice anywhere nearby, much less open as far as I could tell. Um, so that was exhausting and intense. And Black Friday does not bring out people's best behavior. But, you know, as I progressed in my career as a buyer, Black Friday became this day of like, ah, uh, today's going to kind of dictate what the rest of my year is like, right? Like, if business is good, On Black Friday, then December should be pretty chill. We won't be getting yelled at. We won't be canceling orders. We won't be scrambling around panicking. If Black Friday isn't good, uh, Cyber Monday, when I go into the office, is going to be horrible, right? So I've spent so many years of my life just repeatedly refreshing sales reports on Black Friday to see what the rest of my year is going to be like. Like last year... Dustin and I, we drove out to White Sands in New Mexico where we were married and it was our first time being back there since our wedding, you know, because of work, life, the pandemic, we hadn't been there in seven years. It was awesome, but I wanted my team to be able to take off time for Thanksgiving, to take off Black Friday just to relax, all of that stuff. So I said like, hey, listen, I'm going to work on Black Friday, so none of you have to. So I'll be the person handling stuff. And, you know, that sounds like a really noble thing, but really there were very few emails to deal with on Black Friday. But what I did deal with all day was the anxiety and the rapidly growing realization that we were not gonna meet our sales plan, which meant it was gonna be ugly for the rest of the year. And and it was, um, definitely got screamed at a lot. And a lot of these things kind of led to Why I quit my job this year. So it was interesting to have this Black Friday where I was like, oh, it's just another day. I mean, I have to post about it on Instagram, obviously, but you know, so weird. Um, And hopefully, you know, means something for a better quality of life for me in the future. I don't know. Um, Also, it feels like a humble brag to say I didn't have to worry about Black Friday. I know plenty of you did, but it was a game changer for me. Anyway, that's a really long way of getting around to, wow, it's almost December, and I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 185. I am super excited. Yes, I know, I'm always super excited. I'm a very excitable person, but I am indeed super excited about this week's guest, Emma of Berries, and that's... Berries, with an I-E-Z at the end, not berry, B-A-R-R-Y, like my grandpa, or berry, like B-U-R-Y, or just even B-E-R-R-Y. We're talking about berries. And berries, according to the website, quote, sells one-of-a-kind vintage and reworked vintage plus clothing and accessories from emerging designers, I'll just say that Emma has been consistently blowing my mind over the past few years by curating an offering of clothing that merges art with sustainability, with wearability, and doing it in plus sizes. It is incredible what Emma has built. So of course, I am beyond excited to have her on the pod this week. I know I said super excited, but it's some level beyond that. Back in October, when I started calling for submissions for audio essays from small business owners, Emma said, hey, I wanna submit an audio essay about my experiences as a small business owner, but I think it will be like an hour long because I have so much to say. So I told her, why don't you just come on the podcast instead? And there you go, dreams come true. Emma is here this week. We're gonna be talking about her experiences over the past few years, what she's learned from it all, and advice she has for all of you small business owners out there, whether you've been doing it for years, you're just getting started, or maybe just fantasizing about leaving your dumb job to work for yourself. We'll also talk about what she would like to say to the fashion industry as a whole about their lack of size inclusion. But before we jump into that, We have a few other things to do first. Okay, so number one is I think there is still a lot of confusion and misinformation out there about resellers. I'm sure I've mentioned this recently, but I've been using TikTok more. And wow, TikTok, in no particular order, who TikTok hates? Resellers, landlords, people who say bad things about Shein. So- (laughs) It's a rough scene over there. There's a lot of misinformation about resellers over there, um, and and there's a lack of lack of understanding about what resellers really do, how they do it, who they really are as people, how much money they actually make, and even where they source their inventory. Like I think back to some of my favorite episodes of this year, possibly of Close Horse all time, uh, were the episodes I did with Alex of St. Evans about the ethics of reselling. And while I saw a lot of these myths about reselling being shared, spreading like wildfire on Instagram, that is nothing in comparison to how much misinformation about resellers is in constant circulation on TikTok to the point where it's been repeated so many times that it now has become fact to anyone following it, following along. And so you start to believe, wow, resellers really are taking stuff from so-called poor people. Wow, resellers are really ripping everyone off. Wow, resellers are really terrible people. We know that none of that is true. And I thought it would be really great to get an idea of who is really working as a secondhand reseller, right? So. I put together a survey that will collect data and thoughts from as many secondhand resellers as possible. And this info will be used for a future episode of the podcast in the new year that will really be revisiting the world of reselling. I also wanna share everyone's thoughts, et cetera, on future social media posts because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff people need to hear, honestly. And y'all are sharing it with me, which makes me really, really happy. I engineered this survey to be as fast and painless as possible, while also informative. I am not a professional survey designer. That really is a job, of course. But I, I tried my hardest, and I really appreciate any of you who take the time to participate. That said, I wanted to sweeten the deal a little bit, so... Any secondhand reseller who completes the survey will be entered to win a 30-second ad spot in a January episode of Close Horse. One winner will be chosen at random. And this is a pretty sick prize because Close Horse has become one of the top fashion podcasts in the world. So your business, should you win, will be in the ears of many rad people from around the world. To be entered in the contest, you have to complete the survey by December 15th, which is, I don't know, not quite three weeks away, but more than two weeks away, and I don't think it will take you more than five minutes. So if you are a secondhand reseller, please check it out. The link will be in the show notes. So far, I've received about 250 responses, which is pretty cool. A few, to be honest, are people who just wanted to be entered to win the advertising spot, so they didn't fill anything in. Not very helpful. There are a few strange ones that might be fake from anti-reseller people, but then they also put their email addresses in. But maybe those are fake. I have no idea. Their responses are really weird, though. Something's up. Um, but in general, everyone who has responded has been so thoughtful, so interesting. I've been gradually working my way through the responses, literally reading them one by one so I can and thinking about it. And it has been a genuinely moving emotional experience. Some of your stories just really, well, y'all know I'm real sensitive, so they really touch me. <laughs> they really and they make me excited and they make me more committed to seeing this through, you know? They make me more committed to speaking out about these anti-reseller myths. So thank you to everyone who has participated so far. I have this fantasy that I think could become a reality where at least 500 people respond to the survey. I think 500 is a good place to say, hey, This is some legit data that points to certain things about what it means to be a reseller right now. If we get to 500 responses, I will actually, rather than just a drawing for one advertising spot, I'm gonna give away two to two different resellers, right? You can't, one person doesn't win them both. If we get to 1,000 responses, what a dream, I will give away four advertising spots, so to four different resellers. So if you're a secondhand reseller and you've been procrastinating on responding, please get on it, tell your friends. Like I said, I'll share the link in the show notes. The more the merrier. I am loving this information and really the more responses I receive, the more like legit the data is. So keep them coming. I really wanna use this for speaking points in the future, you know? Um, And I think it will be beneficial for everyone in the reseller community to use as sort of like a tool for debunking these anti-reseller myths. All right, well, it's November. So that means that in every episode for the rest of the year, I'm sharing audio essays from small business owners in our community. For me, it is one way I can support the small business owners in our community you know, sharing this platform. And I also just love learning more about people in our community, their lives, their passions, their work. I'm very voyeuristic that way. I just really love people's stories. I always said, like, I'm terrible at remembering people's names, but I'll remember every detail of every story they told me, even if I only talked to them for like 60 seconds. But yeah, I probably won't remember their name. Anyway, in this week's episode, we are going to listen to three audio essays. The first one is from Elise of Curio Marosa, which is, to be fair, one of my favorite businesses here in the Austinish area. Curio Marosa is located in Taylor, which is a small town about 45 minutes away from my house. And while Dustin and I ultimately decided to move back to Pennsylvania at the end of this year, which you all already know... We definitely gave a lot of consideration to moving to Taylor instead because it's really cool and there are awesome people there working on really cool things. Like there's such a community there. We looked at a few houses for rent. We talked about it quite a bit, but ultimately... I just need to move to a different climate. <laughs> as much as I love Taylor, uh, summer here in Austin has been one four to five month long migraine day for me because my body just cannot handle the heat here. I It's my jeans, my, and I don't mean my denim pants because you know I don't wear pants. I'm talking, my genetics are saying, nope, you need to be somewhere just a little bit cooler. <laughs> But if you're ever in Austin, I urge you to check out Taylor because it is so cool. There's an amazing antique mall in town called Vintique. The old high school has been turned into a really cool sort of like mall, which makes it sound uncool. But trust me, it's really cool with different shops and businesses in every classroom. The lockers are still there. You get to use the real school bathroom with like the brown, you know, the browned the brown paper towels. I can, they, It's such a visceral memory, the brown paper towels in school. Anyway, Taylor is awesome. And of course, Curio Mervosa is also there. I swear, there is not a trip to Taylor when Dustin and I don't buy a book from Elise. There's always so much cool stuff in there. It feels like it was like made for us. Yeah. <laughs> so let's listen to her essay. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, I'm Elise from Curio Mervosa Books and Vintage in Taylor, Texas. My husband and I initially started Curio Mervosa as a vintage booth inside an antique mall, but one day I had somewhat of an epiphany. Our small town didn't have a bookstore, and I knew that that was something I could make happen. I wanted to create a meaningful business in our community, and there are three things that are incredibly important to me that I now get to do every day. Share my love of reading and books with others, showcase artists and and makers, many of them local, and save countless books and other vintage finds from the landfill. The bookstore has been open for nearly two and a half years, and I've learned so much, but I think the most helpful thing is to remember to trust my instincts, to do what feels true to our business. It's been the surest way to find our people, and we've been lucky that so many curious and creative folks have found us. A huge part of opening the bookstore was with our community in mind. I've always kept up with local news and happenings, and I aim to spread the word and support our community that way. We host a monthly book club for folks to come together to chat about books, and we love partnering with our fellow small businesses here in town on events, and fundraisers. Our small town is growing, and it's exciting to be on this journey with a supportive and fun group of small business owners. You can learn more about us at curiomervosa.com. Our brick and mortar is at 302 North Main Street in Taylor, Texas. And you can also shop new books on bookshop.org. I'd also like to thank Amanda for talking about small businesses. Advertising and marketing can be so daunting, and there's so much noise out there. It's tough to reach people. We really appreciate all the work you do. Thanks.
0: Thanks again, Elise, for taking the time to record an audio essay. I have to say... I have to say one of the reasons I love small businesses and want to offer them all of my support is that they are part of the community in a way that a Target or a TJ Maxx will never be, right? In fact, I get frustrated when I read about how, you know, city government, state government will give these big box companies, like big tax breaks, right? to and And other incentives to open in their towns, right? And I'm just like, no, like, Sure, Target's going to provide some jobs, but, like, are they good jobs? Uh, How much money is Target really putting back into the community? How much is Target actually involved in the quality of life for people in that town? You know, it just – small business is different, right? Because if a small business isn't an active participant in their community, whether that's IRL or virtual – You know, like you can be a part of the slow fashion community on Instagram without being local, but you have to participate in it and and connect with people and support one another and talk, you know, right? Like you got to be invested in the community. If you're a small business owner and you aren't invested in your community, your business probably isn't going to have a lot of longevity, I think a lot of people think anyone can succeed as a small business owner, but it's way more complicated than that. You have to be passionate. You have to be engaged with your community. You have to be working on something that means so much to you that you don't mind working long hours and dealing with difficult customers and being really, really tired sometimes and being worried, right? It has to be more than just a job from an emotional level, or you're going to get sick of doing it, or you're just, you're just not going to succeed at it. And you know what else? You have to be brave, because working for yourself is scary as shit. I say that as someone who made that decision this summer, and I worry constantly about what will happen next. It's very, very different. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but it's very different and it's not for everyone. And there would have been times in my life where I couldn't, I just couldn't do this. I wasn't ready for it. That is a great transition to the next audio essay from Brittany of Magdalene Clergy Dresses. So let's give it a listen.
2: Hello, my name is Brittany. My small business is Magdalene Clergy Dresses. I make modern feminine clergy wear for women, pastors, priests, and ministers. And today I want to talk about the intersection between my small business and my mental health. I started my small business in 2020 as a quarantine project while I was stuck in my apartment finishing grad school online And for two years, my business was really just a side hustle, more of a hobby. And I also began working my day job after graduate school during that time because I knew that I wasn't prepared to take the necessary steps to turn Magdalene into my full-time job. In spring of 2022... I experienced a pretty intense mental health crisis. I've had clinical depression and anxiety my entire adult life, but things really came to a head between about February and May of 2022. And my business had kind of been relegated to the back burner in my life by that point anyway, because of the demands of my family and my day job. And Once I started to hit that spiral with my mental health, really, I pretty much abandoned the whole project. And my wonderful husband knew how much my business meant to me. And he said, Brittany, I can tell you're not doing well by how long it's been since you have touched your workshop. I realized that I needed to make some significant changes to the structure of my life for the sake of my mental health. And one of the decisions that we made as a family is that I would quit my day job in spring of 2023 in order to pursue my small business as my full time job. Luckily, my husband makes enough money that we can keep the lights on, keep food on the table while I'm trying to make Magdalene successful. And it's been really scary. It's been terrifying to give up my full-time income and take all of the risks that come along with starting a small business. And usually the end of this kind of story is something like, oh, I just overcame my fears and now I'm a millionaire doing what I love every day. And that's not The story I have to tell, I only relaunched my business in October, so last month I've only had my doors open again for a month. I'm not close to breaking even, and things are looking pretty promising, but I'm still very much at a point where this decision was a risk, and I don't know how it's going to pan out. I guess I just want to say that if you're struggling with your mental health and you're starting to wonder whether are not the risks associated with the the decision to make your small business, your livelihood are just absolutely terrifying you. You're not alone because I know there's at least one other person. (laughs) That's me who really had to push through these fears to make life changes that were really, really necessary for mental health. I know I'm speaking from a really privileged place because I do have a partner that can cover my living expenses. And lots and lots and lots of people don't have that privilege, which is also why I'm not saying that my advice is to just push through your fears and go for it. I guess I'm saying that my business is really, really important to me. And it's scary every day to take the risks that it's requiring to try to make it successful. But I knew in spring 2022 that I had two choices. I could either continue my life the way it was going and probably stay stuck in that mental health spiral for a really long time. Or I could take what sounded like the equally scary route of taking a lot of financial risk and following my dreams. So yeah, if you're terrified that's totally valid. It's scary and you're not alone. Now, whenever I see people posting about their small businesses and whenever I see all the amazing posts Amanda makes promoting all of these creators and makers who are doing what they love, I feel a lot more empathy and I feel a lot more enthusiastic about supporting those businesses because I know firsthand just how personal this decision is know that if you're struggling, you're scared. I am too. (laughs) That's all I have to offer. My business is Magdalene Clergy Dresses, and you can find me on my website, magdaleneclergydresses.com, or on all socials, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, etc., at Magdalene Clergy Dresses.
0: Thank you so much, Brittany, for sharing yourself with us in a really vulnerable way. I loved listening to your essay. I actually know Brittany from Small Biz Big Pick, which is the small business classes I teach with Courtney of Sonic Wave Vintage. Brittany is one of our students, and I see how focused and committed Brittany is to making her business work. She really works so hard. She thinks so much about everything. She takes the homework I assign. Very seriously, which thank you, Brittany. Sometimes I'm like, guys, this homework is important. (laughs) But Brittany already knows. I also think that Brittany has found the right small business for her. And it's really like her calling because it combines her faith with her desire to do things in an ethical, sustainable way. And she's created a business with a very clear focus and unique offering. These are all of the elements like of a recipe for a good business. Starting your own business is so scary, especially from a financial perspective, but in other ways too. But Brittany has been so thoughtful about what she is building that I can't help think that she will be successful. So I hope next year we have an audio essay from her about what an amazing, incredible 2024 she's been having. Okay. Our final essay for this week is from another small biz, big pick person. I swear this is not a weird infomercial disguised as a podcast. And this one is actually a graduate. It's Desiree of the Pewter Thimble. And I want to be clear that I did not ask her to record this essay. And I was both surprised and kind of like choked up when I listened to it. You know, sometimes you're like, does anything I do do anything? (laughs) Do you know that feeling? It was really, really nice to hear Desiree talk about what she learned from me and from Courtney. And while she, spoiler, she is going to talk about how glad she is she took the small biz, big pick courses. What she's really telling you is that you should invest money in growing your business skills and learning new processes and tools and learning how to manage your business better. This is the kind of stuff that makes a big difference in your future. The money you spend on things like that really will pay for itself times like 1,000. You know, we all have heard the phrase, you have to spend money to make money. And I think sometimes we use that to buy stuff we don't need. But when it comes to a business, it is in fact true that many times you have to spend money to make money and education, tools, coaching, mentoring, that kind of stuff. That's money that you spend that really does directly lead to making money, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. Okay. So now that I've totally spoiled Desiree's essay, let's give it a listen.
3: Hi, Clothes Horse community. My name's Desiree. I run a small business called The Pewter Thimble from Rome, Italy. And if I could go back and give myself some advice to three years ago Uh, when I started, I would say, take a little bit of that startup money that you're using and investing at the thrift store and get some business advice. I was lucky to find Small Biz Big Pick, which is a wonderful business class run by our very own Amanda of the Close Horse Podcast and Courtney of Sonic Wave Vintage. It was exactly the voices I needed on my business. It wasn't just any business advice. It was about exactly what I was doing, and it completely changed the way that I do business. It helped me be realistic about what I'm charging. It helped me charge enough to get paid. I had certainly been running my business for more than a year, not making a proper wage, And was feeling really, really run down and um, getting kind of resentful, (laughs) honestly. Um, And they helped me realize that I could take control of some of the choices I was making and come up with a better plan for my finances, for my business, for the way I was interacting with customers, clients, and friends. They helped me learn to set some boundaries around my small business, and they offered me an ear and community and continue to do so for an incredibly small amount of money, considering the expertise that they both bring to the table. Um, Moreover, there is a beautiful community of people that go into that class, and I made so many friends and I would say colleagues at this point. People who are willing to put an eye and an ear on my business, um, it's been incredibly valuable to me. So Amanda did not ask me to come on here and shout this out. She's She may or may not put this in the podcast like, oh, Desiree, you know, but I would say that that taking that course really changed the way that I did business. And it really changed if I was making money or not, which changed whether or not I got to stay in business. So I would just give myself the advice and other people the advice to, to set a little aside to, to get an education in ways that maybe, maybe you had it in the past and be gentle with yourself and, and find community that can, that can put a, some time and energy into looking at what you're building and what you want to have. I found that with Small Biz Big Pick. I'm sure there are other places, um, but it was extremely valuable to me. So, thank you to Amanda and Courtney um, and to the wonderful community that I made in that course um, and continue to have in my life. Uh, it really changed the way that I do business.
0: Thank you again, Desiree. You know, Courtney is in Japan right now. Yes, I'm super jealous, but I'm gonna make her listen to this when she returns because I think it will make her day. But also, I'm gonna be honest, Desiree totally became the teacher's pet in our classes because she was serious about learning and rethinking things and trying new ideas. And I I have seen it work for her. I always cite her as a success story. Once again, being a small business owner is more than just selling stuff, even though it feels like that's all it is. Even if you have an MBA, like you straight up went to business school, you're still learning something new every day when you're running your business because you have to do so many different things every day. And everything is constantly changing. I always suggest people spend money and figure out where to find that money to invest, you know, in tools for marketing and analytics and accounting and to invest in classes and coaching and to invest in people to help them do things like social media or whatever else they hate doing or don't have time to do well, because that is all money well spent and some of it costs more than others. And I'm all about hacking the system to create and use tools that cost me as little money as possible. But I also, see the value, and dropping some cash on some of these things. You know, they really do pay for themselves over time. There are so many people out there who are offering all kinds of services and help to small businesses. And you know what? They are small businesses themselves. I recommend you take a look on the internet around social media, talk to some friends for some referrals for things like this if you're kind of at that point in your own business where you're just like, I, I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to get there. It's money well spent. I took a small business class series, I don't know, like seven, eight years ago. And it was so impactful for me, both in my day job, actually, but also just in what I do with Clothes Horse, how I work with my clients, all kinds of things. It was really, really money well spent for me. Um, of course, I'll also share the website for Small Biz Big Pick in the show notes. Our subscription fee is $25 a month and you get you know a class with us each month and workbook and all this stuff. But that might not be the right fit for you either. But I would urge you, maybe it's like your New Year's resolution. This is specifically for all of you who currently have a business or want to start a business. I would make a resolution to take on some sort of class or educational thing in 2024 that will help you grow and do things better, you know? Also, like, learning should never stop just because we don't go to school anymore. And I personally love learning something new, like, every hour of the day, every day. (laughs) Makes life better, I think. Okay, well, this episode is really all about small businesses at this point. And I'm actually pretty excited about it. I think it's great. It's coming out at a time of year that is make or break for a lot of small businesses. A lot of people are thinking about what they're going to do next year. A lot of people are thinking like maybe next year I'm going to leave my job and start my own business, etc. 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 It's a great time to talk about this kind of stuff. So let's jump into my conversation with Emma of Berries. <laughs> Emma, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody?
4: Hi, I'm Emma Zach, and I am the founder and CEO of Berries.
0: Woo! Woo! Really excited to have you here today, Emma. And you live in New York City, correct?
4: Yes, I live in Brooklyn, and I've been living here for seven years now. Oh,
0: wow. Um, You seem so New York to me. I just was like, oh, she's probably like born and raised. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not. I think it's a compliment. I'm from (laughs) Pennsylvania. So
4: when you're from Pennsylvania, like New York is very glamorous. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, hate New York. So (laughs) that's a tidbit about me that I don't tell most people, but it's true. I hate New York.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I don't live there. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I first met you a couple of years ago in like a Zoom, like, you know, hangout session like we all were doing for so long there. And I was really something that surprised me uh, that you said very cash in the conversation was like, oh, like you, you know, you weren't like a designer, right? Like you hadn't like always planned on this career in fashion. You were actually doing something very different in terms of work and career, when you started Berries. So you want to Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that?
4: (laughs) Yes. Um, I worked for six years out of college at the Innocence Project, which is a nonprofit that works to get innocent people out of prison. Uh, And I went to school for sociology and criminology. I worked in jails during my time in college and I thought that my life was going to be devoted to abolishing the prison industrial complex.
0: Which is great, too. I would love to see that happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it was do- I was like, whoa, like when you you just were very cash, you didn't even say everything that you just said right now in that conversation. And I was like, "Whoa!" like, I want to know more about Emma because <laughs> that's really cool. You know, a lot of people who have brands out there right now or like ever totally went to school for design or something very similar. And here you are do- like you're out there in like criminal justice, you know? Which yeah. is really really cool. Yeah. So, tell me, like, how how do you you're doing that in your daytime job, right? When yes. did you sort of start working on berries, and like, what did you th- what did you see happening for it? I guess.
4: So, even though I was working in the criminal justice. Criminal justice sphere, shall we say. I have always been interested in clothes and Mm -hmm. dressing myself and dressing other people for that matter. So while I was at the Innocence Project, it was around the same time that shopping for vintage on Instagram was becoming a thing. And naturally... As, you know, the consumer that I am, <laughs> I <laughs> found myself shopping for vintage on Instagram, uh-huh. but at the time I was a size 12, 14 and I could never find anything in my size. And I kind of assumed, you know, I can't be the only stylish quote unquote plus size. Cause I technically at the time, wasn't really plus size. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still couldn't find anything in my size. And I, so I figured I couldn't be the only person that wanted stylish vintage clothes in a size 14. And I knew for a fact that fat people have always existed. So there had to be clothes, even if it was harder to find. Right.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly. What an excuse. I mean, I know I will say like, that – you just dismantled this myth that I constantly see repeated all over social media, which is like, oh, well, people were smaller back then. Yeah. And um, it's like everybody no. was just like a size zero back then or something. And I'm like, what is with this, like, fat erasure or tall
4: erasure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sure, people were smaller. Some people were smaller. But there've always been fat people. You, I mean, I was just listening to a podcast about the founding of Lane Bryant, and I think Lane Bryant was founded in 1900, which means, hmm, there were fat people back in 1900. So that's a bullshit excuse. Yeah, I, I, I just see it repeated
0: so often, and I, I mean, I liken it to like I have humongous feet. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so I have never been able to successfully purchase a pair of vintage shoes, but I know that that doesn't mean that people with big feet didn't exist in the past. It's just that like there were less options. And so people held onto stuff longer, you know, and like, that's why it's harder to find, um, those people, you know, my, four mothers with the big feet might still be wearing those same shoes right now, <laughs> you know, because that's yeah, how I am exactly. with shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just wanted to call that out because I hear that all the time, but that does like, for sure. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of progress in terms of, you know, plus size vintage clothing and, you know, new clothing and upcycle clothing on social media, like in the past few years, but like 2020 No way. It was like a desert.
4: Yeah, for sure. It really was. And that's why it started and why I think it grew so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people wanted it. Yeah. And it wasn't being offered. I mean, there was a few shops offering it. Shout out to Shop Faddy's and Lovesick Plus. But other than that, it was – I mean, even now, there's not that many of us doing it.
0: No, but there's more than there was. I mean, there's a long way to go.
4: For sure, for
0: sure. Um, And definitely, like, the need is out there. The want is out there. I'm constantly, like – even when I see people starting new clothing brands, right, I'm like – All right, so you're just, like, starting another clothing brand that carries extra small through large. Like, Mm -hmm. why would you do that? Because, for one, there's already a gazillion brands doing that. And, two, like, you're dooming yourself to failure if you really wanted to be successful and, like, really dress people and really – especially if you're a sustainable brand, like, really show – give, I don't know, like, live those values. Then why wouldn't you be dressing larger people? Like –
2: Absolutely.
0: It, it's like a bad business sense,
4: you know? It really is. And the excuses that I hear to not make larger sizes are just, they're, I don't know, stupid. And-
0: <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Listen, I've worked in this industry for so long and I see it all the time. Like this, uh, and I'll say this in quotes, the sustainable like i uh, i don't know like athletic wear company reached out to me they wanted to be on the podcast and talk about their sustainability and i was like well one i don't let big companies come on here but two uh i would like love to talk to you about why you don't go beyond size extra large mm-hmm. um, and like so if you wanted to like do that or you could like add more sizes and then come on the podcast and talk about it i would love for you to be an example that other people could do the same thing. And they were like, uh, well, it's like really complicated. And I was like, yeah, I worked in the industry for like 20 years. And in most of my jobs, I, my big focus was extending sizes. So Mm -hmm. like, it's not impossible,
4: (laughs) you know? I mean, if I could go from working in criminal justice to doing this, Right. Anything is
0: possible. Anything is possible. Yeah, yeah, I know. A lot like, yeah, you do have to buy more sizes, right? But mm-hmm. then, you know, there's also like a strategy to make that work. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just like so tired of the like I'm a small business excuse. Um mm-hmm. because it's often from like people who have a bunch of like VC money or investment coming in, so they have the money. And I see all kinds of awesome, like one person micro businesses out there somehow doing it, you know,
4: doing the work. Yeah, doing
0: the work. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So you're like, there's no, like, there's very little plus size, uh, vintage clothing on, on the internet. So you're Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to, I'm going to put some out there for people.
4: Yeah, it really started organically. I was with my friend and we were sitting on my couch and I was like, so I have all this vintage that because at the time I would buy stuff and it would be shown oversized on a small person or a you know, size four person. So I'd be like, oh, it's going to fit me. And then I'd get it and it would be too small on me. Ha <laughs> ha. Joke's on me. So I had all this cl- these clothes slash I also just had a bunch of vintage because I, I, I I don't know, was shopping vintage a lot. So I had the clothes that didn't fit me and then my clothes. So I was like, I'm just going to start and put it out there. And I think I just started by posting on Instagram and seeing what happens. And I would do photo shoots with my friends in my backyard. And I would just post those photo shoots on Instagram. And then I shot a lookbook and it got picked up by Nylon magazine. Wow. And from there, it just started kind of growing and growing. But eventually, I mean, after I would say two or three months, of course, I had to go out and start sourcing the vintage. It couldn't just be my own stuff or mm-hmm. stuff for my friends. Um, but yeah, that's it It wasn't anything I was planning ever, but it felt really... Right. And even when I did start doing it, I wasn't thinking of it as a business at all. I was just thinking of it as like, oh, I'm going to hang out with my friends and, you know, sell clothes to other fat people and hopefully they like it. It wasn't ever, okay, I'm going to sit down, crunch the numbers, see what's (laughs) going to happen. We're going to have a business. It grew into that. And that's,
0: that's incredible. When did you start doing berries full time?
4: I quit my job in December, 2020. So I guess you could say January, 2021.
0: That's amazing. Wow. It's, I mean, it's been like close. I guess it's been like three years just about now since you've been doing it full time.
4: Right? So. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, were Were you scared to make that
4: jump? I was terrified. I... I mean, my whole life, my parents were kind of just like, you're going to have a nine to five and that's Mm going to be your life. And there's no way to make money outside of having a nine to five. And I didn't know any creatives growing up. And I, I genuinely couldn't imagine a life, not working a nine to five with, benefits and a salary so I was really afraid and I knew that I wasn't going to have my you know cushy innocence project salary and benefits but I also knew that I wasn't feeling fulfilled Mm. and that this was a gap that I felt really compelled and passionate about filling. And my mom, who's also an entrepreneur, she started a home care company by herself. At, around, it's funny, around the same time that I started this, started Berries. Oh, wow. And she was 30, 32. And she was like, Emma, now's the time you got to take a risk. Just mm-hmm. take the jump and just go for it. And I was like, you know, if my mom believes in me, And everyone around me believed in me. Why couldn't I believe in myself?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is – I think there are a lot of people who are going to hear you say that and be like, yeah, that's me too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, really scary. And I think, you know, even for me for, like, so many years, people would be like, why don't you – you hate working for these big, like, corporate overlords. Like, why don't you – go start your own business. And I was like, I'm too scared. And I like the difference between like people asking me that question then, and people maybe asking you, you that question. Uh, now it's like, I didn't have a thing that was going to drive me. You know what I mean? Whereas Mm -hmm. like, you have that with berries, like you, what you're, the work you're doing is important. It's a business, Mm -hmm. but it's like important beyond even just like the selling of clothing, you know, it has this like emotional social ripple effect. And it's like also kind of like a, I don't know, it's like an instrument of change
4: really that needs to happen. I know that now, but it took time for me to know that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. So when you and I were, prepping for this episode, uh, you told me, you said like, listen, I want to say you said it was last year. There was a time period Mm -hmm. that was really bad for the business.
4: Yep. Started in March last year. Uh, it started declining in March. So COVID happened and I'm sure a bunch of other small businesses can say the same thing that, Business was great. Business was booming. People were shopping. We all had our stimulus checks, you know. Yep, yep. It was great and I was like, you know, people are shopping during COVID. Everything's going to be fine, you know. Um and it wasn't. And what happens for me as a small business owner and I'm sure other folks too is that the decline of the financials in the business starts getting wrapped up in your identity in a way. So it's like, if the business isn't doing well financially, then you start getting really, I I started getting really depressed because Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm failing, you know, I'm failing. And then when you as a business owner are not doing well mentally, then how are you supposed to push your business along. So last year it kept declining. And I was just like, I, I couldn't function. I was calling my mom, you know, sobbing all the time. Just like, what do I do? I do not know what to do. And back then what I didn't realize is that business pivots every Mm -hmm. three months, your business model kind of has to change and you just have to Except that if you want to be an entrepreneur and a, or a business owner, a small business owner, you have to know that your business is going to change and you need to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at all. So, as the business was declining, I was like, it's declining. Woe is me. Berries is done. Even though all I needed to do was shift the business model and the business would you know, jump up again. Mm-hmm. So that was that.
0: <laughs> I mean, that is really sound advice. I think often when it comes to business, we sort of take like a set it and forget it kind of approach. Like, well, if it worked yes. three months ago or three years ago, why isn't it working now? Like it should be. And really like, I mean, listen, I geek out on people. Like what I do as a consultant is I like, look at all of people's data and like help them make decisions, you know, about like what mm-hmm. to buy, what to sell, how much to sell for, like that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the thing that I tell all of them too is that like you really need to be like taking a critical eye to your business every week, every month and look at what's going on because it does change over time. And there are certain like tre- cyclical trends that your business will always follow. Like maybe you'll do you know, like in standard retail, you do a ton of sales in November and December, but you do very few sales in January, February, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also being aware of those will help you keep your sanity, but you can't, you can't just keep doing the same thing. And I always cite, like, look at Macy's, look at Sears, look at JCPenney, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just were like, when people started shopping online, they were like, oh, that's a fad. I'm not Mm going to do that. Right. And then they all got to it really late and like Sears is gone. And I don't know what's going on with JCPenney and Macy's has been like struggling and struggling and struggling for so long and they refuse to switch like how their stores looked or the kind of brands they sold or where they sold and all that stuff. And like, yeah, that's when you go out of business, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's really, really hard to say, like, sometimes I got to make a change. I got to do things differently. But the thing is, like, you don't have to pull pull what you do next like out of the thin air like already your customers are telling you what you need to do next by what they are or or not buying from you right
4: absolutely and for me it was my customers wanting to try stuff on in person Ah. and not wanting to shop online anymore Duh, Emma. <laughs> I mean, I think most people feel that way right now. Like, I'm over it. I feel it. that yeah. way. I don't want to shop online. No. Nice. I mean, I have to because I'm plus size and there's nowhere to shop. Although, I really only shop from myself slash eBay <laughs> these days. So. I mean,
0: eBay will never let you down, okay? <laughs> eBay is my
4: <laughs> girl. I was um, going to say bitch. But <laughs> <laughs> you
0: can say that, too. We definitely uh, – we're big fans of eBay in my household. <laughs> Yeah, uh, people snooze on eBay, but it's really the best spot. Um, it's a, it's a lot, but if you know the tricks, which I'm sure you do, you know it's oh, like I do. yeah, you it's a it's an easy game to play if you understand it. Um, a
4: little too easy, I know. <laughs>
0: I know. <laughs> um, I feel like if they made like a word cloud of conversations that happen in my household, like eBay would be like one of the in big fonts because it comes up mm-hmm. so often and so many times over the years. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, I think, man, I got to tell you, like, I am seeing across the board that there is this like big return to to shopping in real life, and I'm happy about it. Like all of these companies that only sell plus online, they're idiots. They're like so stupid. Like you said earlier, because like no one wants to shop. People just don't want to shop online anymore. It's disappointing. Stuff doesn't fit. They want to see it in real life. And honestly, it would be better for the planet if we were shopping IRL too, you know, way better, way better. So your customers were like, I don't want to buy clothes online anymore. So what'd you do? So,
4: um. (laughs) I have to laugh. Um, so I was my assistant at the time, Grace, I was coming in every day being like, what are we going to do? I mean, I was about to have to let her go. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she was only working one to two days a week, by the way. And she was like, Emma, why don't you just have people come to the studio and shop? And I was like, no one's going to want to come to this little shithole because at the time it was like this little space and it was just jam packed with clothes. There was literally nowhere to sit. The dressing room was uh, one of those screens that you kind of just had to hide behind and it was dusty. And anyway, so I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I was like, no, this is never going to happen Fuck that. She was like, just just try it. I'm gonna set up a Calendly. Shout out to Calendly. Oh my god. You Shout can out to Calendly. To that.
0: Yeah. Everybody Obsessed. This this podcast is not sponsored by Calendly, but honestly, if Calendly came to me and wanted to place ads, I would be like immediately yes. Because yes. uh-huh. Total life Please. hack for any small business owner. <laughs>
4: Calendly yes. or
0: anyone. Anyone. <laughs> yeah. It's like basically people just get to make their appointments to meet with you on their own. And it sends the emails, it sends the zoom invite, if that's how you're doing it, whatever you need. And you don't have to be like, I don't know what time works for you. What time works for you? What about you? It just like happens. And yeah, it's the I don't, best. I, I'm always like, oh, I'm pretty sure Calendly saves me time, which I think it does. But mm-hmm. more importantly, I feel like it, it saves me like brain, brain time because scheduling is like the bane of my existence.
4: I hate it so much. Same. <laughs> <laughs> same Same. very much yeah but um so she set up the calendly and that was in april of this year and we had 30 appointments in april um and then in may the new york times reached out to me and said we heard about your shopping appointments we want to write an article about them yeah (laughs) yeah And so they wrote the article and it got printed, which was so cool. And then they actually put um, money behind the article and sponsored it. And so Barry's was just, it was just blowing up. And um, so was our Calendly. So <laughs> we had so many appointments and the business turned around. And the the thing is, is that now that, you know, I like now that the business is quote unquote working better, uh-huh. um, I am so, I am very conscious of the fact that it's not always going to work like this and that I might have to change it again in a few months mm-hmm. time. But now I'm not, you know, upset about that. I'm just like, okay, this is going to happen and I'm ready for it. <sighs> uh, am I ready for it?
0: You'll be ready I'm for a it. Bit, I'm a little bit more prepared than I was. I think you are because, yeah, you've already been through this and you've seen how it has to adapt all the time, you know? And I think that's the biggest miss I mean, I would say the other myth that a lot of businesses suffer is that like they are not managing their money very well. <laughs> but I like totally. I mean, I feel like you are doing that because you you are still in business, you know. But yeah. definitely, like I I I mean, I'm sure you know we're both on social media, right? We're up on the scene. Mm-hmm. We are seeing like I especially I'm trying. To, I've decided I think I'm not going to use Threads anymore because I think it made me my shingles come back from like doom oh scrolling I and don't being even... stressed.
4: I don't think I have a thread.
0: I had a feeling it was going to be like Twitter, which is a place I avoid cuz it's like really ugly over there and like la- you know, last year they canceled oh, yeah. they like canceled someone cuz she made chili for her neighbor. Like this is not my scene. And what? Yeah, yeah, what? it was it was ridiculous. Like this person, actually I think their pronouns maybe they them, I can't remember, but they made chili for their new neighbors and people just like went off on Twitter about like how messed up it is to make food for other people and it's like ableist and all this other stuff. I was like, wow, oh my I think like y'all need to like take a deep breath. So anyway, I avoid Twitter yeah. and like threads has turned into that same sort of like echo changer, echo chamber of like, I don't know, despair. And especially on threads, like people, it's just like one host after another. It's like my small business is really struggling. All small businesses are really struggling, you know, blah, 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 like over and over again. And I often like, You know, when I'm coaching people, like I say to them, you know, the thing you shouldn't do when things are going poorly is like spiral, let yourself spiral, which I know is really, really hard. It's really, really hard. Right. I mean, every and I (laughs) I say like you shouldn't let yourself spiral when I will spiral. I'll probably spiral later today about how I spent too much time looking at threads again or something. But Mm -hmm. I like what you really need to do is do what you did and like take a step back and be like, what is it? What is it that I'm missing? What is it that my customers want? What is it that I can do next? Um, and you're really lucky that you had like an awesome assistant who like forced you because that's great. Um, it's the best. But like if you don't have an assistant to help you, it's like talk to your close friends, talk to other business owners, like talk to someone you trust, and just be like, "What help me problem solve this?" I think you know when I'm, when I'm working for, I guess here's the thing, big evil corporations or, and, or like idiotic corporations like Macy's or Target or what have you, they stay in business when business is bad because they're like, what are we going to do next? Like someone's taking Mm -hmm. a critical eye and trying to make some decisions, even if they're not right, instead of everybody just running around the office weeping and with despair. I mean, I've worked in that for that company too, but where everybody was spiraling constantly, but you know, it's like, you gotta, if you want to keep going, You got to always be like thinking about what's next and looking at what's going on and making a plan based off of it rather than sort of giving into your fear. But I also feel like being a small business owner, it's like, you have to be really brave.
4: You do. It's
0: really scary, right? And it's really hard and you have to work all the time.
4: Yeah. It's really, 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 really hard. It's way harder than working. At the Innocence Project, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I think another thing, when I quit, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. I didn't know that I was going to have to take up a second job to just keep the business going. And it's, I mean, it's so hard. And I just give so many props to small business owners. Mm-hmm for how hard it is. It's really hard. It's not for everyone. No, it's not. It's and sometimes I'm still like is this for me? But I don't think I can do anything else now.
0: I, exactly. Exactly. Most of the small business owners in my my like social circle are uh, they they kind of like uh, they have a lot of imposter syndrome, which I deal with too. Oh. I think if you don't have imposter yeah. syndrome, like I don't even know what's your life like. Like, tell me, I want to know the <laughs> secrets, right? Where it's like, you can't accept when things are going well, because, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm always That's like, me. expect the worst and be pleasantly yeah. surprised when it's not. Yeah. Right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> that is me to a T. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, it's It's like, it's hard. And then you have to constantly like, kind of like negotiate with yourself to be like, hey, stop, stop being like that stop, stop being so negative. Stop, stop worrying. Just like do the work, you know, like push that aside and like focus. I don't know. That's, that's how it is for me often. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist, an upcycler, and a fashion designer. But Gabriella Antonis is also a feminist micro business with radical ideals. She's the one woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the world needs. If you find yourself in New Orleans, Louisiana, you may buy her ready to wear upcycled garments in person at the store Slow Down at 2855 Magazine Street. Slow Down Nola only sells vintage and slow fashion from local designers, and Gabriella's garments are guaranteed to be in stock in person. But they also have a website, so you may support this woman-owned and run business from wherever you are. If you're interested in Gabriella making a one-of-a-kind garment for you, DM her on Instagram at Gabriella to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram at Gabriella. That's Gabriella with one L. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at Dylanpage Life and Style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan, find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Fagavan Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing accessories and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the arts district of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV, and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of twenty twenty two. So now you have like a store and an mm-hmm. online business. Like, how do you kind of? Well, yeah. So tell me, because like I, <sighs> when people, I will just start this by saying, I don't know how anyone sells vintage. Or, like, upcycle online. style. Right, online. Yeah, it's so hard. Do you want to explain why to Listen, everyone?
4: <laughs> please let me explain. Yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about selling one shirt online, all right? Okay, so let's say I sell one vintage shirt for $40 online. That $40 is covering, one, how long it took me to drive, to go and get that uh-huh. the gas money. Uh-huh. Then the time it took for me to source it, the time it takes for me to take it back and inventory it. Then the time it takes for me to clean it or steam it or both. Then the time it takes for me to measure it. Then the time it takes for me to photograph, to upload it and then to market it, to see if it sells. And most of the time it doesn't even sell online. Right. Yeah. So, um, That's what I learned about selling vintage online. So I actually, this in the past few months as business in person has been doing well, I have kind of stopped putting stuff online altogether, which does feel shitty because I feel Mm -hmm. like I am ignoring in a sense the people who have supported me all these years when I didn't have an in-person shop, but at the same time, it's just, right now, it doesn't feel financially viable for me to put stuff online. I, I do, I do put some stuff online. Don't get me wrong, but it can't be the only way for me to generate income. And I don't even put vintage online. It's really just my more, uh, expensive pieces. Or if I do end up putting vintage online, it would be like my collector's, Uh, Nicole Miller shirts or like my Mm -hmm. collection of Michael Simon sweaters, like the more expensive pieces because otherwise it just doesn't make sense. Right.
0: Right. Cause like you did all that work and as soon as it sells, it's gone. Whereas if you were like the gap or something, uh, you would do all that work and there'd be like a thousand units to sell.
4: Exactly. Like one picture only goes so far. So I'm always you know, one picture for a pair of Gap jeans exactly sells a thousand units. One picture for my pair of vintage denim sells one unit. And then that picture is done. And another thing I used to do is spend money on photo shoots because I was, a, well, was, am a perfectionist and wanted the brand to look a type of way and to look this way and that way. And then this year I was like, why am I spending all this money on photo shoots, money that I don't even mm-hmm. really have. By the way, you know, to to sell one single item for fifty dollars, you know, right, what I mean? right.
0: I mean, that's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard one. Uh, I, you know, I was talking with my friend Janelle recently, and she's saying, you know, like I think a lot of people like, really awesome creative people who started small businesses in, like, 2020 for a variety of reasons, right? Now, like, in 2023, they're like, oh, man, I am, like, really learning a lot of hard lessons about things that Mm -hmm. I need to sort of get over or give up if I'm going to be able to continue. And, like, that's one of them for sure.
4: Yeah. I mean, especially... As a small, sustainable business, you know, sometimes I compare my business to my friend's business who she does have more financial resources than me and she is selling multiples of products and I'm like, oh, her (laughs) imagery is just so beautiful. And why is her graphic design so amazing? And she'll be like, Emma, what? It's because I have money (laughs) And that's about it. Like I have money and you don't have the same type of money. Like just give it up, you know, focus your efforts on something else. (laughs)
3: Um,
4: There was one more thing I was going to say and now I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, I guess too, with selling vintage, especially for plus size folks, you know, for straight size folks, you can kind of just take a picture on a hanger and people will sell it. And nine, not nine times out of ten, but it, it's more likely to fit a straight sized person if you just see it on a hanger, whereas on plus size folks, for me, it's really, really, really important to show the the garments on a body mm-hmm. because you really just don't know. So you know, that's another expense and consideration when uploading or selling vintage or upcycled vintage online.
0: Yeah, I mean. <sighs> It is true though. Like any time, every time I've worked somewhere, and we've even said, just like, could we just shoot stuff on a mannequin? Not like a like a funny plastic mannequin mm-hmm. with like a face and a wig, but like a, a dress form or like yeah. on a hanger or something. It's like if when we AB test it on a model, the sales are just, it's like a significant change. But totally, it's like so much money. You know, it's <laughs> so much mm-hmm. money. Um, and then just to be able to only able to sell one thing. I mean, that's like why, I mean, I don't know if you ever look on ThreadUp. up. I, I don't very often because I, I, I can't handle it,
4: but it's horrible. It's horrible,
0: And it's because they're trying to say, Oh, we are going to do a one of one business and shoot everything on a form. And it's like, guys, it's not going very well. You know,
4: they need to fix their search.
0: Yes. That's why I give up. Well. That's why I always give up on ThreadUp up. Cause I am like, nothing is, it's giving me
4: the weirdest search results. Yeah, it's really a bizarre website. Yeah. Thread up if you hear this, hire Amanda to consult for you. <laughs> yeah,
0: let me fix your website. Actually, I don't even know where I would begin there. Woo! I, I like I get so many feelings. Every once in a while I'll be like, you know, I haven't looked at Thread Up for a while. It'll be interesting to see what's on there. And like within five minutes I'm like, nope, I'm gonna go back to eBay now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Let's talk about like, cause you know, I would say now, listen, you've been doing this for a few years and you've been doing it full time for a few years and you, you've been through some shit. What kind of advice would you give? Because this is a, I think there are a lot of people who want to hear this advice right now. What kind of advice do you get? Would you give for small business owners who feel like they are stuck? Like they don't know where mo- their money is going or they feel like they're failing or they're like, oh, the algorithm hates me or what have you. What advice would you give them? Because I'm sure you've had, you well, I know that you've had moments like that.
4: Yeah, I've had so many moments. And I think what I would tell someone would vary based on what their business is. But number one, you need to keep track of your finances and where your money is going. You need to know mm-hmm. how much money is going out and how much money is going in. Um, that is really important. It's also really helpful for taxes so that you're not spending weeks next year in April at the very mm-hmm. last minute <laughs> trying to file your taxes. Yeah, been there. Definitely been there. <laughs> um, But I think you said it earlier. It's, it's asking what does the customer want, mm-hmm. which is a tricky question because... For example, my customers a few weeks ago were like, "We really want this dead stock lace cardigan." So I ordered, I don't know, twenty of them to sell, and I put them back online. And of course, I've sold three. Uh, so it's like, okay, I know. So maybe that's not the right advice. You know,
0: I, okay, so here, here are my thoughts on that because that it's a tough one, right? When I worked at yeah. Modcloth, we have this thing called "Be the Buyer," and basically, like. We would go to market and we'd pick like half a dozen styles and we'd put them on the website and we'd be like, vote for them. Like for this 24-hour period, vote for the one that you like most and we'll buy it, right? And so Mm -hmm. you would think, okay, well, it should be a sure thing. Like whatever the people bought or voted for, they're going to come and buy. And it would be like, you know, like... I think everybody knows this by now, but if you're participating in something like that, I want to assure you that the company has your data, right? And knows who you are. Mm -hmm. So we can easily look back and be like, 1% of people who voted for that thing actually bought it. And that's like, I mean, that was bad for us, right? We're like, now we got to put it on sale. But like, you know, for a small business, that's even worse. And so it is like, I mean, I've, I've had conversations like at various different companies where we have been like, we did a survey and people said they wanted this and then we buy it and they don't buy, they they aren't interested or we offer it and they don't care or, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know, thought out there, you know, kind of like people discussing it, kind of like trying to investigate it further. Just like, why are people sometimes kind of dishonest in surveys? (laughs) Right, right. Who's
2: that helping I know,
0: I know, but it's true. Like even... At my last job, they were like, cause you know, it's like, it's a tough time to be in retail, it really is. I think I like, there are people who are doing really well and the people who are, are like people who are, you know, listening to their customers and being really smart and passionate and innovative. And every other retailer out there who is like not doing that is like, oh, things are bad. And so my, at my last job, things were bad. And they were like, we're gonna do a survey of customers and see what they want. And every customer was like, I love this place. It's the best store ever, blah, 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 blah. And we were like, okay, well, then, like, why aren't they buying anything, you know? And and so it's, it's like, that's really hard. But I usually, like, what I look, when I'm coaching people on, like, what they should, how to understand what your customer wants is, like, look at what's selling, right? And lean into Mm -hmm. that. So if you're selling a lot of button-ups, get some more button-ups. You know, and like use. that's why you need to keep track of what you sell and look at it. Exactly. Um, I am, you know, like not going to brag. My friends do call me the Google doctor because I'm so Mm -hmm. into spreadsheets.
4: (laughs) Wow. I'm not. If your
0: business doesn't have (laughs) half a dozen spreadsheets going on, you need to, you need to get on it. Seriously.
4: I know. I do have half a dozen spreadsheets, but it's a matter of whether or not I use them, but I do have... (laughs) shopify reporting good yes that's really good yeah
1: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah um yeah so i think like that is often like the more true version of what your customer wants in a weird way i don't know why why do people lie on surveys
4: (sighs) they're bored i don't know (laughs) It's the only explanation.
0: Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's so weird. It's not like, it's not with malice. It's just like you get caught up in the moment or something. I'm not sure. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. I think like you gotta, you gotta like be listening to them and keep, and keep like powering through it and innovating based on that. But like, what else would you say? Like, if you were, if you could go back and tell yourself like three years ago, here's some advice that like will really help you get through the next three years.
4: What would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that it's not going to be easy. And to, talk about the challenges with fellow small business owners. That's been the Mm -hmm. most important thing for me is having a small community to text and call and vent and cry. Um, And I think for me, what really stuck with me is my friend who runs a big business was the one to tell me, Hey, Emma, our business three months from now is going to look totally different than it does right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. Like that makes total sense. And of course, when my mom told me that I, it went one in one ear and out the <laughs> yeah. other, cause she's my mom. right? <laughs> but when my friend who runs this, um, clothing business told me that I was like, Oh, and that's why I was like, wait, I'm not failing. I just have to shift. So, yeah, I think just anticipating change and then looking at the numbers, obviously, and keeping track of everything mm-hmm. um, and holding community. Being in touch with what your customer wants. And that's not even just specifically, but like, I know my customers love mesh. So I'm going to figure out how to get mesh for my customers in different forms. You Mm -hmm. know, maybe not not this one specific mesh dress or whatever, but like, okay, see-through is in, how can I get this to them? Um, And also just looking at the market too, like what are other what is is popular popular and what is I don't know for for me in a way it's easier because it's like okay what do plus size folks want what do I want as a size 18 plus size person Mm -hmm. What what do I want that is not being offered to me. And then what I do is I say, okay, I want this now. How can I go about getting this for berries? Because if I want it, then I know other people must want it too. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way I do have that advantage because we don't have a lot of stuff offered to us. It's true. And well, and especially like stuff that is like cool
0: and like Mm -hmm. artful. Like I think, you know, every time I see a post of yours or like browse through your website, it's like, Yeah, you're selling clothes and, you know, and accessories and a lot of them are upcycled. But more importantly, what you're selling is like clothing that really is brings that like creativity and that artistry back to clothing, you know, and it's like something I think about all the time is that like the fashion was an art and it became an industry and a commodity. And, you know, we that's I feel like that's one of the reasons we overconsume it so much because it never really feels Genuine when we put it on our bodies. And so you're bringing that back, like beyond even the fact that you are dressing fat people when very few other companies will, right? Beyond that, you're also bringing art back into clothing. And so your customers are like, never, they're literally like never going to find it anywhere else. Like it's just, it's two important things that are missing in one
4: place. It's like a dream you know <laughs> and now i know that and a few months ago i could not sit here and say to you amanda i know that what i'm doing is important i i didn't know that and now even though i had 8000 people emma you've changed my life emma like i didn't feel confident until i found berries people would say that to me all the time once a day and i didn't get it and I feel like now I'm like, okay, what I'm doing is important. What I'm doing is the only place in the world, in the entire world, offering what I'm offering. And that's important. Mm -hmm. And for as long as my mental health can take it, I got to keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously not at the expense of your mental health, but I mean, that brings me to like, okay, so, you know, I'm sure, I mean... I'm always like, listen, we all need to be like prioritizing collaboration over competition. But the reality is that Mm -hmm. like, we all have a little like grain of competitive spirit within us. Some a lot more than others. Those people scare me and I usually try to hide from them, but you know, like people (laughs) probably look at you on social and they're like, oh my God, like that bitch <laughs> like she know, is like I killing know, it I it's probably that. like really easy and like blah 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 and of course i know that not every day is like you're not like on your yacht counting your cash right now and being like oh my life is so fabulous right
4: so not even a little right? bit right so
0: like let's talk about some of the hard parts <laughs> of of owning a small business that maybe people wouldn't guess
4: Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, stability. Yeah. Financially, mentally, even just like a daily routine, that doesn't exist. Every single day for me is different. I, I guess that is also because I do wardrobe styling, so that adds another layer into it. It's, it's like another job that I have, <laughs> I guess, so... Stability, yeah. Stability is st- doesn't exist in my world, and I hate that. Um, definitely working on that with my therapist. I am also working on boundaries. Uh, As a small business owner, you gotta set boundaries. You do. <laughs> I fucking suck at setting boundaries, but you got to set boundaries, or else you are gonna be unhappy. Your business isn't i mean i would go so far as to say like your business won't grow you have to have difficult conversations Mm -hmm. you have to plan for the future all those things for me are scary yep bad i don't know (laughs) i mean it's
0: like uh, man the boundaries thing it's like i think many of us yeah i learn boundaries uh when things go awry. Right. Like I always am mm-hmm. talking to people about like return policies, for example, like customer service policies in general. And I'm like, yeah, like my friends who start a business, like the first time I see them like go live, like there's like three things on their customer service page or their returns policy. And like a year later, there's like mm-hmm. 10 things. And then a year after that, there's 20 <laughs> things. And it's because you, you like customer service policies are boundaries. Guess what everyone That's they are so here. funny it's so, it's so true, true right and so you're like learn yeah. you only learn the boundaries uh, when things go sideways and like i mm-hmm. i wish that we were taught those as children, because even just in my own life, I'm like, oh, I sure learned that one the hard way, like with that person, you know, I shouldn't have let them do that. And then it led to this and that and that and that. And, you know, in business, it's even bigger because we're talking about like your future, you know?
4: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) The boundaries. (laughs) The boundaries. Okay. So I feel like you must work like all the time right now. So how how do you try to keep it balanced and not just totally lose lose your inspiration, your motivation? Yeah, that's also something I'm
4: working on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel a little bit like a phony answering this question because I currently do work about seven days a week, especially cause I also do wardrobe mm-hmm. styling. So that adds, yeah. you know, a few yeah. extra Same days. Same here.
0: I cannot, do not ask me for advice on work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I
4: feel like a monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, the times that I am most creative, are when I am rested Mm -hmm. and having space away from berries. But at this point in time, I'm like, berries has so much momentum. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And then in January after it, after the holidays, I'll rest. But so right now I feel like I can't honestly answer this question because I'm (laughs) kind of failing at work life balance, but I think it's so important. And I also think that having a routine is so important because for me, it's like all day I'm getting, I get, you know, a text I would say a couple times an hour, either asking me for Mm -hmm. something or asking me something for business or whatever it may be business related. And my DMS, I love that you have the please don't, DM, please email, because my DMs are crazy, even though I do sometimes invite people in there and I'm like, DM to buy.
0: I will tell you though, speaking of boundaries, so um, <laughs> if none of you have ever DM me, you don't know this, but I'm basically like, I don't do business by, Insta- by DMs. Like you have to email me because my life is chaotic, right? Yeah. I've got clients, I've got close horse, I have a life. And uh, I would say only 10% of people tops actually listen to that. So <laughs> Dang I know, it. but I'm trying, okay. I'm trying, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: but I do yeah. think like that's a
0: boundary that I'm really trying to put to enforce because I have learned that the hard way where someone was like, oh, you know, multiple people are like, I'm trying to be on the podcast or do something. And then I'm like DMing you, but then later I'm mm-hmm. emailing you and I'm like, I can't find the thread. I don't know where we were talking, like where the you know, just it. it like that, mm-hmm. that kind of, it's like scheduling. It's one of those things that just like pushes a button in my brain where it, it shuts me down kind of, <laughs> like, I can't explain it. It's too, it's too
4: much. It's too much, but that's, it's, I feel like it's just brain overload mm-hmm. every single day. And that's why I feel like a routine is so important and boundaries are so important, blah, 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 blah. But Yeah, I don't know, taking space and, like, on the days that you do take a day off, you know, sometimes I'll delete Instagram from my phone so I don't even have the opportunity to go on it because I know I'll check berries. That's a good idea. (sighs) I don't know. Berries is my baby. It is your baby. I
0: just It's 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 hard. (laughs) It's hard when you care so much about what you do, but you also, like, need to protect yourself because, you know, you're the one doing this work. You know, and berries doesn't exist mm-hmm. without you. That's like, that's hard, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. um,
0: Yeah. I just wanted to say, I also like give yourself a routine, a schedule, whatever it takes. Being your own boss is really hard uh, because you can yeah. just be like, well, I'm the boss and like meander over to the next thing um, and all the decisions mm-hmm. have to come from you. So like, you know,
4: mm-hmm. I worked cor-
0: in a corporate structure my entire career where like, I didn't dictate any of the routines, right? They were just handed to me and I lived in them. And so then to be like working for myself, I think what has benefited me is that my husband also works for himself. So we like, I was like, I'm going to get us in routines. Like we're going to eat lunch. We're going to do this. Like we're going to stop working at this time. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's hard. It's hard though. Cause sometimes I'm like, Oh, just two more hours, just two more hours. You know?
4: I know. Yeah. I know that's, I like that though. I should try that.
0: It it's, was hard at first, and then it, it felt pretty good. Like like now I'm like, oh, it's lunchtime. I got to get up. Got to get up from my desk. Like do mm-hmm. something else. Um, You know, I don't always stick to it, but I try. I guess I'm an okay boss to myself, but not the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's
4: a it's an always, you know, always room for improvement.
0: Before we move on, I know you have one other piece of advice which you have not shared that I know you're really passionate about. Oh, I'm so passionate about this. Okay, piece tell of us. Advice. Tell us it's probably not what any of you are gonna expect. I feel like we should have a drum roll. <laughs> okay, yeah, we me.
4: can add it in. The, okay. <laughs> so my biggest piece of advice to all small business owners out there, especially one selling stuff online. You need to get a label maker and you need to get either a GoShipO, stamps.com, pirate ship, any of those accounts because too many times I'll have collaborators ship stuff to me and I'll look at the postage on the, <sighs> on the thing and I'm like, you did not just pay $85 for shipping this package. It makes like, my stomach hurt hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> $10. On goshippo.com. <laughs>
0: Once again, not sponsored by goshippo.com, but no. But re- like you, s- yeah. Come on. Like shipping is one of those things when people are like, I don't know where all my money is. I like do all these sales, and I don't have any money left. I'm like, let's look at your shipping because. Yep. It's way more expensive. And don't offer
4: free shipping. If people want it, then they'll buy it regardless of exactly. the shipping. But you are paying for the shipping. I'm paying for the shipping. I I used to offer free shipping over 200 bucks, And my, again, that business owner, big business clothing owner friend, she was like, do not offer free shipping. Like, if people want it, they'll buy it. And you're losing that money when you offer it. So don't offer it. Exactly. I am working right now on a, like a real, like
0: I'm like... Conceptualizing it by the time this episode comes out, it'll be out in the world talking about how actually. This is a pretty lofty one, but how free shipping really ac- exacerbates economic inequality <laughs> because, yeah, uh, be- for all of these reasons, right? It costs it takes money out of the pockets of small business owners. um, all these big companies that like w- thrive and exist solely because of free shipping, like Amazon, they do a lot of things to make that shipping free for customers, exactly. that take money out of the pockets of their employees and truck drivers and all kinds of other people in between. So, uh, yeah. Charge for shipping. Seriously, we all need to get over it. I think in 2024, please, we're going to see a lot more uh, companies charging us for shipping anyway. So get comfortable with it. Yeah.
4: Sorry, customers, but I got to do what I got to do. You got to do it. I'm not evil, though. I promise.
0: (laughs) And and by the way, if you're all like, why are y'all talking about business so much? It was really because... Emma was like, oh, I want to do like an audio essay, but I actually have like so much to say. It's like longer than that. So I was like, just come on, <laughs> on here and we'll like talk about it. And so that's why I'm like, we're really talking about small business because I think it's really important. And I think a lot of people in our community would would look to you, Emma, and say, like, wow, like Emma is an inspiration to me. Like I I wanna I wanna be Emma when I grow up, or I want my business to be <laughs> as like successful and thriving as yours. So that's why I'm like asking you all these biz questions, but I did want Hell to yeah. like, we're coming down the home stretch. I just want to ask you like, you know, and you, maybe you don't have an answer here, but like, if you, if you could tell like the fashion industry, like one or two pieces of advice or like things that they need to fix ASAP, like what they're getting wrong. Like, what would you say?
4: I would say, you know fashion brands. I heard y'all love money. Oh That's my god, true, right? I know. They
0: do. They love money. They'll like do anything to make more money. Yeah.
4: So, to those brands that are like, "Oh, we can't fix our sizing because of money." Uh-huh. Um if you just invest the money up front, it'll come back tenfold. At least and I can, at th- least I can say yeah. that because my collaborations are now the most popular thing that I'm selling and I continually have to reorder from the small businesses that I work with. And you just have to do the work and you need to hire a consultant and like not do it just to, you know. Oh, I'm expanding my sizing, but I'm not actually doing the work to do it. Just put in the work, just do it once. Like with the small businesses that I collaborate with, I do the, we do the work to fit the garment on a model. And then once that's done, I can continually reorder Mm -hmm. it. It's not like there has to be any more work. So I don't know. I feel like it's honestly not that hard. Just try (laughs) just a little bit fat people are here and we got money to spend and we want to look just as cool as everyone else. Um, So I feel like it just, but it does have to come from a place of compassion and care because if you don't have compassion and care, then it's not going to get done Mm -hmm. right. And we're going to have brands continue to expand their sizing and then not, it's not going to work because they don't put money into the marketing because plus size people won't even know they have the, close to begin with (laughs) this is where all these brands go wrong when they're like we tried
0: it and it didn't work I'm like you literally never even shot it no on a plus size on a plus size model I know (sighs) like you of course the customers didn't know you had it and the other thing is like you know I think uh like I don't know like for example Shein gets a real big pass like there's this I i try to not even read these posts because once again, I've got shingles. They need to go away. I can't get riled <laughs> up. I got to stay calm. Diet Prada did a post this week. I, it was like some, something, I don't know. It was like about how that one company like shop Vestair or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. uh, isn't accepting fast fashion on their resale platform. And they're like kind of a luxury platform anyway. So it, yeah no brainer um but people were in the comments losing their shit over like well y'all you know what I'll be shopping at Shein until like other companies extend their sizing and I'm like yo, I get it buy your clothes that make you feel good wherever you need to get them like fine but I think that there is this like a little bit of like a well Shein you know and Forever 21 and Fashion Nova like they care about us and I'm like y'all They're not making you good clothes. They don't fit right. No. You know, they're low quality. Like, everyone deserves better than that. So much better. Right? And I just think... All of these companies right now who are like, oh, we carry all the sizes. I'm like, you really don't, for one. And you don't do a good job of it. And it's not coming from a place of care, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying, right? It's coming
4: from a place of like, cha yep, Exactly. I mean, and it's funny because I did say, you know, you guys want money? Well, do this. But if you want the money, then you got to do it with care. So. And if you want the money to keep coming. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes.
0: Because, because like, I, often one, one of these brands will be like, oh, we extended sizing and people go buy it once and return it all. And they're like, Never mm-hmm. again,' right. Cause it sucked. And I will say like when I, you know, mod cloth has changed a lot. It's, it's been sold multiple times and it doesn't have the same mission anymore. But when I was there, our big thing was like, we're going to, We're going to make clothes for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that likes the mod cloth aesthetic. Right. And we worked so hard. Like we were out there pushing factories and vendors and brands on extended sizing when no one else was. And it was certainly hard, but all of those people who chose to opt in and work with us on that, they made so much money. And really that was like, what was, that was where mod cloth was growing. Like the rest of the business had plateaued a long time before that. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that we were offering all these sizes in cute, fun stuff. I remember. That was keeping, I
4: used to shop on that there. That was what was
0: keeping it going. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And even like, we went through a big change while I was there. Like previously we had had a team that only, all they did was buy the plus size part of the collection. And they were based in San Francisco and they were like total bitches. And they were kind of like, uh, no, bigger people don't, they don't want sleeveless things. They don't want sheer things. They don't want body things. And I was like, what are you, you're talking about, we're talking like a different species of people <laughs> yeah, here. I
2: know.
0: Right. So at one point they were like, okay, we're getting rid of the, the plus size team. And just like, if you're a buyer for this category, you buy it in all sizes. And that was when we were able to like get really cooking. Cause it was like, okay, we're going to do going out clothes. We're going to do party clothes. We're going to do festival stuff. We're going to do sexy shit. You know, we're going to do work stuff. like We're, we're going to do it all. That we already do and just offer it in all the sizes. And it was just, it was amazing. It was so incredible. I know that they don't do that anymore. It makes me really sad, but like every time I start working with a new company and they're kind of being weird about sizing, I'm like, let me tell you a story mm-hmm. about how you can make so much money.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Ah. Uh, well, Emma, it was so nice to talk to you today. Likewise,
4: you are one of my favorite podcasts And I'm obsessed with your Instagram So this has been a dream come true
0: Wow, we both Had our <laughs> dreams come true at the same time Whoa. That like never happened <laughs> Whoa <laughs> If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles by embodying the love, craft, and energy Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evens is a New York City based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evens is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at Wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear underscore st dot evens. That's wear st. evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia, by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicwear, a slow fashion brand, ethically made by hand from vintage and deadstock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over ten years, but started Picnicwear in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicwear recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnic wear offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at cute little ruin. Is there a little bit of Italy in your soul? Are you an enthusiast of pre love decor and accessories? Bring vintage Italian style and history into your space with the pewter thimble. We source useful and beautiful things. And mend them where needed. We also find gorgeous illustrations and make them print worthy. Tarot cards, tea towels, and hand picked treasures available to you from the comfort of your own home. Responsibly sourced from across Rome, lovingly renewed by fairly paid artists and artisans, with something for every budget. Discover more at the pewter thimble com deco denim is a startup based out of san francisco and it sells clothing and accessories that are sustainable gender fluid size inclusive and high quality made to last for years to come deco denim is trying to change the way you think about buying clothes founder sarah mattis wants to empower people to ask important questions like where was this made was this garment made ethically Is this fabric made of plastic? Can this garment be upcycled? And if not, can it be recycled? Sign up at decodenim.com to receive $20 off your first purchase. They promise not to spam you and send out no more than three emails a month, with two of them surrounding education or a personal note from the founder. Again, that's decodenim.com. thanks again to Emma for spending some time with me. It was so awesome. And I can't wait to go up to New York City to visit her and see her shop when I'm settled in Pennsylvania. Seriously, Emma, get ready. I'm coming up. I don't know. Maybe I'll come up in February. Oh, what a gross time to be in New York. (laughs) I might come up then though. (laughs) Um, Emma also sent me a little last note uh, about something she'd forgotten to tell you. One more piece of business advice, and I'm just going to share it with you right now. She said, as a small business owner, you have to do everything, photography, accounting, graphic design, buying, social media, etc. But that doesn't mean you have to be good at everything. I was so hard on myself for so long because I'm not good at certain aspects of the business. But for me, realizing that I don't have to be the best at everything and letting that idea go made things a little easier. And Emma is so right. You know, one of the things I've been doing with a lot of my clients recently is saying, hey, what are you bad at doing? Or what are you only doing halfway because you're busy? Let's figure out how you can afford to outsource that. To be honest, it's almost always social media. That's what people say, which I get. It is... We call we call me the content factory in our house. I'll be like, oh, I gotta go open the content factory, which is often me sitting on the couch in my nightgown very early in the morning with Janet and just creating social media posts. And uh, it is it is a grind, so I totally <laughs> understand why a lot of people wanna outsource that. Other times, you know, it's like accounting, right? Or it's some other like operational thing. And what I do with my clients is like, I work with them to kind of find the money to do it. We don't actually find money. We figure out how they can make a little bit more money to cover it. We budget for it. So we'll like tweak the sales plan. We'll take a look at the budget as a whole. And I just, honestly, this is like advice for every aspect of your life. If it's something you're bad at doing or you don't want to do that you won't do well because you're not in it or you don't have the time, you'll have to rush through it, like, figure out, figure out how to get someone else to do that for you, right? How to pay someone else to do that for you, because it really will make a difference in the quality of your life, among many other things. And in small business, it also means like, it actually, you know, can help your business grow. And with my clients who I've been doing this with for the past couple years, we've actually seen good net result from outsourcing these things. Like, Maybe more new customers thanks to better and more consistent social media content or less stress at tax time, which is in itself priceless, but also maybe even owing less taxes is great too. You get happier customers who return to shop again. You're not getting any more paper cuts. I don't know. There are many wins that can come from kind of making that decision about your life, but especially your small business. The other thing I'll just say, as Emma was saying, like, cut yourself a break. You know, for me with Close Horse, I'm going to tell you, I am so hard on myself, so critical of myself. And anytime I make even the most minor mistake, like mispronouncing a word or making a typo, I am like beside myself about it. Like I have to take a moment to just like re-sort of like center myself and like move on from it. Um, because I, I th- I'm just such a people pleaser. Honestly, it's really hard. And I feel like when I make a mistake, like my brain extrapolates like, oh, you made this mistake. Well, what you really did was disappoint people. Or maybe let's take another step further while we're spiraling and say like, oh, we hurt someone, right? Like that's that's where my brain goes. And so I am very stressed about messing things up. But at the same time, close horse, there is no money to find to hire someone to help me with stuff. Right. You know, like, do I hope that changes for sure? I would hope that 2024 is the year that changes that, you know, the podcast, despite constantly growing has never had more than 100 supporters on Patreon at any one time. I think at this point, two people have signed up for Apple premium. So there isn't money to find, to pay someone to help with things. And it's been a space I've been operating in for so many years that I'm used to it, but there's great pressure that comes with that, right? Like I said, I'm super hard on myself, always trying to do the best job that I can. And I get really upset with myself when I mess it up. I'm sure many of you are like, that is me too, (laughs) right? Because... I don't know. Are you the kind of person who maybe never forgot something embarrassing that you said 10 years ago, but can't really remember what you did on your birthday last year? That's me. Always remembering the bad things, having a hard time remembering the good or neutral things. (laughs) And so when you're doing everything and you're hard on yourself like that, it's a really difficult place to be emotionally. I specifically remember in 2021, I was like, okay, I'm going to ramp up the quality of the social media content for Close Horse. Previously to that, most of my posts, not all, I was starting to at the end of 2020, like branch out into some things, but I had been using a lot of vintage fashion photography because it was something I could use. It was free. It looked pretty cool. It was in line with the vintage aesthetic that I wanted Close Horse to have. And it also, to me, like on a super figurative, level functioned for like, this is what fashion was like before fast fashion. You know what I mean? But I also had problems with it. The main problem is that everyone in all those photos, no matter how hard I looked, were really thin. And in many cases, they were white. And I wanted to move away from that. I just didn't feel like It aligned with the values of Close Horse. It felt really othering. It didn't feel like it would bring people in, right, because they couldn't see themselves there. That wasn't what I wanted Close Horse to be. So I spent a lot of time learning Photoshop. I bought a scanner so I could use more found images. I learned how to do more stuff in Figma. I read a lot about fonts and color, I bought fonts, and I worked really hard to learn how to create more polished and interesting stuff. And you may have noticed that I rarely show people in my posts because I want everybody to feel like they're a part of what I'm doing, not just if they look a certain way, right? So this is something I was really serious about, put a lot of thought, because of course, you know, I'm thinking like extra hard about these things. So I learned how to be a modern graphic designer. (laughs) And I kind of did all of this on the job, literally learning these skills while creating content for Close Horse. I look back at some of the stuff and I'm like, could have been better, but it's a journey, right? There were times where I would get really excited about sharing a post. I would think it looked so good. I would be like, oh my God, Amanda, you are like getting better at this like every week and I'm just so proud of you, you know, like saying that to myself, you know, like you gotta say that sometimes. Then I repost it and there was the same person over and over again for a several month period who would show up every time to call out that the font or the color wasn't accessible enough. And I know that they were being helpful, that they were raising awareness and really teaching me a lot. But I always felt so deflated, so depressed, so angry at myself after reading their comments. Like I was a failure, like I was a bad ableist person. But really, I just wasn't perfect. I didn't go to school to be a graphic designer, especially a graphic designer in 2023, where you know, you're really thinking a lot more about accessibility. I didn't know what I didn't know, basically, but I couldn't I couldn't like forgive myself for that. I had to say like, it's okay, it's okay, you know? I'm learning from messing things up. I'm gonna do better. This is actually a good thing in a weird way. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person or bad at things, you know? I read even more about making content more accessible. I changed up what I did and how I did it. I moved away from doing Instagram Lives because they aren't captioned while they're happening and that felt like that other people made them feel excluded. And over time, I just innovated. I learned, I grew. And I had to accept that everything wasn't always perfect and that was okay. Sometimes there are typos. You have no idea the intense sense of shame I'll still feel when someone calls out a typo, but you know, I had to move on from it, Right. Sometimes I mispronounce a word on the podcast. Those are also mortifying emails to receive, even though I know they're just sent in a kind, thoughtful way. I'm just like, oh, do better next time, Amanda. You know, it's hard. I just tell myself that's okay. I actually think big corporate culture has trained us to expect perfection of ourselves as small businesses, right? Like, especially if you worked in a big corporate environment like me, like making a mistake is mortifying, will like ruin your career tra- trajectory, depending on what it is. You've heard about the 10,000 uh, straw at this point, you know, but I have to remind myself that those big companies have massive teams of people working on everything. Those people probably aren't even having that great of a time at work, but they're doing the best they can, and they might be operating under a lot of fear, fear of messing up, of making a mistake, and the repercussions. And they still, (laughs) despite all these big teams, all these resources, companies will still send out the wrong promo code or mess up the product pages on their site. I don't wanna, I'm not gonna name which job this was, but I'm just gonna say, uh, (laughs) one of my jobs, we were not actually launched to the public yet, and there was a really specific date that the email would come, go out saying, like, hey, we're live. And it was a big deal. And uh, the guy, there was strangely a big, you know, pretty big company. Only one guy handling the emails. And he accidentally or maybe intentionally, I don't know, sent out the launch email, like, three days before it was supposed to happen. Stuff like that happens, right? It's okay. We're all humans. And I think... When it comes to small businesses, we have to remember that what makes small businesses special is that they are people, that when you support a small business shop from a small business, you are it's about people. It's not about a corporation. And it's the smallness that makes them special, that makes them worth supporting, that makes them valuable and in important parts of their community, right? Anyway. I think running a small business really teaches you to be more gentle with yourself, which I think many of us, regardless of what we do for a living, need to get better at, myself included. Running a small business teaches you to shed your fear of making mistakes, of building boundaries and sticking with them, of being true to what you believe. And these are all really important life things. I've learned more in my three plus years of working on Clothes Horse than I think I learned at my last three jobs, which is funny because this week, you know how, okay, first off, I'm just going to say it. I I really hate LinkedIn. I understand that we got to be on there to get jobs sometimes. Fine. But I don't know if any of you have ever just gone on to LinkedIn and kind of scrolled. I know we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but they <laughs> There is so much garbage on LinkedIn. And sometimes you'll be having a good day and LinkedIn will be like, hey, I wanted to just send you a little notification to let you know that someone who was really terrible to you has succeeded, right? Or to let you know that someone else has your old job or what have you. And this week, LinkedIn was like, hey, congratulate blank on her five years at Newly," And I was like, wow, that person, blank, she started the same day as me. And I was like, wow, she's still there. Like, imagine if I was still there. Because basically what LinkedIn was reminding me is that five years ago this week, I moved to Philadelphia from Portland to work for Newly, which is Urban Outfitters rental platform. And I mean, you all know, you've been listening long enough that That company let me go at the beginning of the pandemic, and I felt like my world was collapsing. Not because I loved that job, because I didn't. It was not the right job for me. It was not the right environment for me. It wasn't challenging enough for me. I was way overqualified for it. I didn't fit in. And I think I just reached this point in my life where I was like, some stuff's not okay to me that I could compartmentalize in the past. I can't do that anymore. So I myself was planning to leave that job, hopefully by the end of the year, if not sooner. But you know, then the pandemic came and I got laid off, which was different because now it meant there were no jobs, I had no health insurance, and it felt as if my career was over. You all have heard all this before. It's weird to think back years later and imagine still being at that job five years later, Because I feel like so much has happened in the more than three years since I was laid off from there in my life that has been incredible, just like a total shift in what it is to be me, to live my life, to find my value, to have optimism about the future. (sighs) It's hard to imagine doing that because I've done so much since then. I've met so many cool people. I found my community and my purpose via Clothes Horse. And it's just like one of those things. Life never stops being surprising. I look back on what I've done so far, where I've gone, who I've met, and I would have never seen 99% of that coming, you know? And I wouldn't change that. At all. And I think for all of you who are, and I know there are a bunch of you listening who feel this way because you email me about it. For a lot of you who feel stuck or don't know what to do next, who feel hopeless about everything happening in the world, from genocide to war to climate change to income inequality to pollution to all of it, right? I know so many of you feel overwhelmed by that, feel hopeless sometimes. I know others of you are like, I'm stuck in this system that I know is bad, that is harmful, but I can't get out of it because I don't, I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to do it. I want to promise you that somehow you will figure it out. And it might be in a way that you didn't expect. It might be on a timeline that you never saw coming, but the future has a way of happening and kind of taking you, taking you to what matters as long as you let it. And I know that feels sort of like a little smidge of toxic positivity, but when I look at the things that have happened in my life, that felt the scariest, the most devastating that left me feeling just so hopeless and you know, losing my job in the middle of a global pandemic, not the biggest one, but I can go all the way back and think about my partner dying right before our child was born. It felt like there was no future left for me then. And then there was all this future, right? The future is out there and the future is, I mean, it's going to happen tomorrow, right? It starts happening in five minutes. The future... You, me, everyone around us, we have the power, the power of our community to make that future what we want it to be, no matter how hard it feels right now. Something I want you to all to think about as we finish up this year and start a new one. I'm not much of a fan of New Year's resolutions, even though I know, yes, I've cited them in this episode. But I do think there's something to be said about taking stock and figuring out what you want to do next and visualizing that path. You know, that's how you make it happen by thinking about it a lot. I say that as a professional overthinker. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Hosted, written, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, as always, please leave a rating, maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, you know what I'm going to say, tell your friends. I love when someone sends me a message and they're like, hey, I found Close Horse through my sister, through my coworker, through my neighbor, and I have learned so much. That is the best news every time I hear it. If you'd like to support my work financially, you can learn more at patreon.com slash podcast, or you can check out the Apple premium subscription. There are other ways that you can support me financially or otherwise. You can learn all about that on Instagram while you'll find me as at close podcast. You'll also find me over there on TikTok by the same name, uh, dealing with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people who are mean to me. And I think I might be old enough to be their mother. <laughs> But also lots of really excited, passionate people, too. So it's a mix. It's worth it. Um, the last thing I'll just say to you, well, the second to last thing, because you know what the last thing I'm going to say is. The second to last thing I'm going to say is that there will not be an episode of Close Horse next week because Dustin and I are driving to Pennsylvania to get the keys to our new place and drop off a bunch of stuff and track down a second-hand washer and dryer. So no episode next week. I'll be back after that. Now, I'm going to say the last thing. You know what it is. Thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. All right. Talk to you all in a couple weeks. Bye. <laughs>